This morning we're going to be studying one small verse of scripture but looking at all of the Bible on a topic called friendship. And I don't want to be like the minister of the little boy who was taking off his watch and he asked his daddy, what's it mean, daddy, when the minister takes his watch off? And his daddy whispered, absolutely nothing. <clears throat> We're going to do our best here. Um, but I want to <clears throat> read from Proverbs 17, 17, and then have a brief prayer, and let's look at this subject together. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Let's pray. Father, we come before you thankful to be able to worship you, and we ask that you'd help us to do that in spirit and in truth, that you'd give us ears to hear and hearts to listen and understand your holy word and how to live it and trust you about it and how to apply it in our lives. I pray for the one who teaches. His sins are many. Forgive him and help us to see Jesus and him only. In Jesus' name, amen. I think the story comes from the Korean War. It's about two army buddies who got to know each other in the army and their names were Jim and Bob. They went through boot camp, basic training, and they were put out into a battle. And as they were advancing toward the enemy, it was particularly fierce. Bob was about 15 yards in front of Jim and uh, a shell exploded near Bob. And he went down and was motionless. Jim was near a foxhole. The commanding officer told everyone not to move. But Jim saw his friend up there and he went toward him. He picked him up over his shoulder and started carrying him back to the foxhole and he was shot and, and, and hit with a bullet. They fell into the foxhole and it was determined very quickly this because when I got there, Bob said, Jim, I knew you would come. Now we don't see friendship like that as much anymore as in older days perhaps. And I think um, as wonderful as technology is, it tends to depersonalize relationships and people. Uh, you can even go and work on your phone with your fingers and find something that calls friend me. And that's a far cry from what I believe the Bible teaches about friendship. Um, I wanna look at this subject and under four questions in God's word. <clears throat> And, and here the, here's how the order is going to be, Lord willing, if I can remember. Um, why do we need friends? What is a friend? How to be a friend? And with whom should we be friends? First of all, why do we need a friend? Some of us have been tempted to say because we've been hurt and betrayed by a friend. Can't it just be God and me? I do not want to risk it. It's not worth the time or the trouble or the pain. As a matter of fact, Paul Simon in 1966 put those sentiments into a song called I Am A Rock. And I read a, a, a brief review of a new album he's got. This was 1966, now that was only 57 years ago. 
Uh, and it may be that God has worked in Paul Simon's heart because this review said he's got a new album on which he puts six or seven psalms to music. So I pray that's the case. But listen to how grim the words of this song are. Now, those of you who are old enough, you remember the tune. It was a big hit. But most of us don't remember these words. He says, I've built walls, a fortress deep and mighty that none may penetrate. I have no need of friendship. Friendship causes pain. It's laughter and it's loving I disdain. I am a rock, I am an island. Don't talk of love, well I've heard that word before. It's sleeping in my memory. I won't disturb the slumber of feelings that have died. If I never loved, I never would have cried. I am a rock, I am an island. I have my books and my poetry to protect me. I'm shielded in my armor, hiding in my room, safe within my womb. I touch no one and no one touches me. I am a rock, I am an island. And remember how he closes, and a rock feels no pain, and an island never cries. Now that is very sad and tragic because that's not the way God created us. Book of Genesis tells us that when he came to creating mankind, he created us in his image. And part of being is in his image is to be in relationship because you see God was not just the father in eternity past. God has always been father, son, and Holy Spirit. The triune God is eternal. And they've always, the, each person of the Trinity has been in perfect and intimate relationship with each other from eternity past. That's a, that's a staggering thought. And to be created in the image of God is to be like God in that respect and many others. And that is to be in relationship. That's part of the way we were made to relate to God and to other people. And yet because Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in Genesis 3, that ability to relate was crushed. The image of God is still in every person. It's marred. And then it is restored when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and repent of our sins and trust him in what he did for us on the cross. And yet we've still got that remaining sin nature that, that is, rejects and resists relationship because of the fear and the pain and the, the, the difficulty of it because we still are sinners. But we need to be reinforced about this need for friends because when we ask the question, did Jesus need friends? And of course the answer is yes. And he is the perfect man. He was made at all points as we are yet without sin. He was tempted at all points as we are yet without sin. He is made like his brother. He felt pain, he felt rejection. He needed friends in his perfect humanity. You remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he went to pray and he asked his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, to come closer and pray with, with him a little few feet away. And after he prayed so intensely that his sweat was like great drops of blood falling on the ground and he asked the Father, if at all possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will but thine be done. And he goes to see his three friends and he's in anguish because he says to them, could you not, they were asleep, 
could you not pray with me, wait with me one hour? He had that need for friends. And if Jesus needed friends, we need friends, and we need to be a friend to other people. Um, think about the happiest moments in your life. The ones that come to mind are not when you're by yourself, are they? The happiest moments in your life are when you share stuff with other people. And one of the most um, unusual yet telling illustrations of that, I've, they've saved the tape on ESPN and I've probably seen it about 10 times. It happened in April of 1983 when the most unassuming and unexpected bas college basketball team found itself in the finals of the NCAA tournament. They'd lost 13 games that year, but they were the Cinderella. They kept beating people and beating people, and they get to the finals against the most powerful team in the, in the nation at the time, the Houston Cougars, with Clyde Drexler, and, and they call them, all five of their starters went to the pros. They were so good and they could leap so high, they called them Phi Slamma Jamma. And uh, so this team that was so improbable to be there was coached by a man named Jill, Jim Valvano. This team was NC State University. Lost 13 games. Nobody gave them a chance. And it came down to the last 30 seconds. Houston throws up a shot and they miss it and NC State gets the rebound and they start bringing it down the floor, trying to play for one last shot. It they were down by one point. And they're passing the ball around, getting desperate, and finally the guard, Derek Wittenberg, throws up a 30-foot desperation shot. And watching on TV and watching the tape, you couldn't tell what it was gonna do, but Lorenzo Charles saw it was gonna be way short. And he jumped up above everybody and grabbed it three feet in front of the basket and put it in the buzzer went off, NC State won the game. Jim Valvano it was so excited, he ran out on the court, and you can see him, if you've seen this tape, he's looking for somebody to hug, he's looking for somebody to tell this to. What a great illustration of how we need people in our lives. Um, and I think women tend to realize this more than men, Men tend to think that the self-reliant image is the best for them. But if you're human, male or female, you need friends. And if you're a Christian and you want to be faithful to God, you can't do it without being a friend to other people and without having friends to encourage you. The Bible speaks of, somebody added them up one time, 20 commands that say one another. Love one another, pray for one another, admonish one another, exhort one another, et cetera, et cetera. 20, you can't obey those without having friends. Henry Cloud, who wrote a book, he's a Christian psychologist, wrote a book, Changes That Heal. I recommend it. We studied it in our Sunday school class a couple years ago. He reminds us that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 speaks about and pictures our relationship to Christ as the relationship to a, a body to a head, a human body. Jesus is the head of his church. We are members of his body, but we're also connected to each other. And Henry Cloud says this, we cannot be emotionally amputated from the blood flow of the body 
and expect to thrive in this world. We just can't. And I think that is so true. We need Christian friends to help us to change, to motivate us, to hold us accountable. And even secular organizations in this, in this country have recognized this. The military understands that. Alcoholics Anonymous understands that. Weight Watchers understands that. We need other people to help us be accountable and to encourage each other. Um, but back to the song, it is not easy to have a friend, to be a friend, because it's risky. We still have our sin nature that alienates us from other people. We have to deal with shame, with fear, with rejection, with people leaving, with pain. But God calls us to be a friend and to need them. So let's go to the second. It's, it's inevitable we need friends. Let's talk about what is a friend, number two. From our passage, it says, a friend loves at all times. <clears throat> And my father was familiar with this phrase I'm going to use that is synonymous with that. A friend is not just a fair weather friend. A friend is a friend in good times and bad times, in difficult times and easy times. A, a friend is loyal, does not repeat a matter, Proverbs 17 verse 9 says. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 when he's talking about love between uh, each other, he says, Love does not take into account a wrong suffered, but it bears all things, it believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things. We're talking about loving at all times and loyalty. And another characteristic of, of friendship and, and that kind of love is that a friend is honest. Listen to Proverbs 27.6. This is a great word picture, and you can picture it in your mind's eye like I can. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. Now think about that. How did Jesus um, get exposed by Judas? Judas went up and kissed him and then had him arrested. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. It, it really is an, a picture of if you really love somebody and care for somebody, you don't always tell them what they want to hear. Many times we have to help each other by telling, us, telling each other what we need to hear. Because we're blindest to our own sins. Trust me, ask my wife. And, uh, but in a husband-wife relationship, that's, that's one of the relationships where we really need to practice friendship and, and not only tell us each other what we want to hear, but what we need to hear. And it, it's, that, it's really kind of like a medical illustration. If you've got cancer, you don't want that surgeon, and, and it's a tumor that needs to be removed, you don't want that surgeon saying, don't worry about it, you don't have to go through any pain, just take these pills, it'll be fine. No, you want that surgeon to cut and get that cancer out, even though that might hurt a little bit. It's for your own good and prosperity and blessing. Um, so we're to be honest with each other a friend is honest and yet there's a way to do that Paul says in Ephesians 4 we're to speak the truth comma in love you don't have to be harsh about it 
but we need to speak the truth to each other. And uh, an example of that is in Proverbs 25, 20. Listen to this word picture and just picture it. Like one who takes off a coat on a cold day is he who sings songs to a troubled heart. Think about that. Like one who takes his coat off on a cold day is one who sings songs to a troubled heart. There are many times when if we have a friend who is in pain and anguish, we need to sit there and just be silent for a while like Job's friends started out doing, and then they broke down and gave him some bad advice. But anyway, a friend is honest, a friend loves at all times, is sensitive to another person's need, and a friend is encouraging. You know, that's a, a word that's not used much in secular culture, I've noticed, as I talk to people and um, listen to conversations and I think it's good, that, and, and we need to use that word more often because the word encouragement is a biblical word. It has at least two parts to it. One is a building up part, and one is a warning part. Listen to this. The word encourage means to strengthen, to build up, and to bless, and to motivate. It has several forms. For example, Hebrews 10.24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another or motivate one another to love and good deeds. Uh, we can do that with words, by example, and say, you can do it too. If I can do it, you can do it. Um, that was one way I think my children responded, that I could encourage them when they were little. Hey, if I can do it, you can do it. And if they do it, I'd say, I'm really proud of you. Um, but there's another part of encouragement that in Hebrews 3, it has to do with warning. We need to warn our friends and they us if they see us moving in a direction that's against God and his word. Uh, Hebrews 3 says, But encourage one another day after day, lest any of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that deceitful of sin. It, sin can trick us. Our sinful hearts can fool us. And it takes a friend sometimes to see us when we just start to move in a bad direction against God and his word to say, don't go that way. And even Barney Fife had some wisdom about that when he would um, tell Andy about, they'd be talking about something where Opie or somebody was uh, starting to go in a bad direction and Barney would say, Andy, we need to nip it. Nip it in the bud. Nip it. Remember that? It's, and, and he had some wisdom there because the longer you let somebody go in the deceitfulness of their sin, the more hardened their heart tends to get. It's harder to get them back. We need to encourage one another and nip it in the bud. A final characteristic I want to touch on before we talk about what hurts friendship is we need to support and sympathize with each other. And I think there's an example that Jesus gives us with Peter that we can take a comfort in. Right before Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus went to him and said, Peter, Satan demands to sift you like wheat or just destroy you. But I have prayed for you, he says, and when you're restored, 
strengthen the brethren. Now think about that after Peter grievously denied him three times. How instead of being like Judas and going out and killing himself, he probably remembered that when you are restored, strengthen your brother. And he went and asked forgiveness of the Father. He asked Jesus to forgive him, and he was restored. And he became a faithful disciple and apostle of the Lord Jesus. That's what it means to be a friend is to support and sympathize and pray for one another. Well, what hurts friendship? Three things I want to bring out. One of them is the denial of the reality that you need them. I mean, every time we get hurt, we can tend to default into that. I'm not going to try to have friends anymore. I'm not going to even try to be a friend. It's too much risk. Denial is part of our sin nature that will be with us until we die and go to heaven in Christ. But I think that we need to realize that so much of our denial is based on pride. We think that we can be like God and not hurt. Um, and I think Jim Neighbors, when he went to his show after Andy, and it was uh, Gomer Pyle USMC, often Gomer would see where somebody was um, in denial about something, and Gomer would say, now, Sergeant, that's just pride, pride, pride. It's just pride. And, and Gomer was right about that. So often, we will not want to do the right thing. We'll be in denial about God's promises and his blessings. And it's just pride. And I believe that when we see how to be a friend, becoming vulnerable about our sins and weaknesses is one great thing to do. But anyway, uh, denial, a critical spirit hurts friendship. Nobody can put up with a constant fault finder for, a while, for very long. And we need to um, understand that in Peter, 1 Peter, he says love covers a multitude of sins. And part of the thing that makes us uh, have a critical spirit is, is the third part of, of um, what hurts friendship, and that is unrealistic expectations. Now we're talking about real practical stuff here. We're talking about stopping preaching and going to meddling because we sometimes think that I want to have perfect friends who never hurt my feelings and I'll never hurt theirs. And if you think that's possible this side of heaven, I've got some swamp land in Florida to sell you for $3,000 an acre. But of course, and I've told my Sunday school class this many times, we need to remember, as Dr. D. James Kennedy said, pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, he said, if you're looking for the perfect church and you find it, don't join it, because you'll ruin it. <laughs> In other words, there's no perfect church. And part of being a friend is being able to bear with each other's sins and weaknesses, because we've all got them and work together and help each other. The church is a hospital for sinners. Sadly, the secular world out there thinks that once you become a Christian, you're not gonna sin anymore, and that the church is, is, is above that. Of course, that's foolish. And so we're not to have unrealistic um, expectations about friends. You think about Jesus, those three years with those 12, he showed incredible tolerance 
with the disciples. And I think that fella, that first year, the first two years is all I've seen. That fella who I think did a very careful job sticking with the, um, uh, the scriptures, uh, the gospels, who did the chosen and, and tried to illustrate Jesus' life with the disciples in, in those first three years, um, he really brought out how incredibly patient Jesus was with them and he is with us and we need to be with each other. Um, <clears throat> fourthly, how to be a friend. We're coming down to the end. How to have a friend. You don't wait for it to happen. You initiate it. You remember people's names. You ask about them. You look for kind things to say and seek to bless and encourage them. I think one of the most interesting TV characters that showed um, this kind of respect and, and kindness toward people was Mr. Rogers. You, you, you think little children like Mr. Rogers? I believe he, they did, and, and it was because he spoke in a kind manner to them, and he, he exemplified Proverbs 22:11. Listen to this. He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious, the king is his friend. We need to exemplify that as well. And part of that is humbling ourselves as a little child. Jesus said, unless you humble yourself as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. That means be trusting enough to trust him to take away your sin and to give you a new heart. And then the other thing I mentioned earlier is in how to be a friend is you'd be amazed at when you're vulnerable toward other people that they often say, you mean you struggle with that too? When I say be vulnerable, what's that about? I mean vulnerable about your sins and your own weaknesses and your pain. The overwhelming response from people is, you struggle with that too? So do I. Finally, whom should you befriend? One negative and the rest extremely important. The Bible does say that we are not to associate with a person given to anger. Proverbs says the companion of fools will suffer harm. Avoid a man given to anger lest you learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. We need to be wise about that and not be best friends with, with people who can't control their tempers and who um, would lead us into that kind of rebellion against God. But we're to apply these truths with our spouses if we're married, with those closest to us in our families, in our church life. And two places to, to grow friendships in our church life is in small group ministry, of which our best small group ministry is um, our, our Sunday schools, Sunday school classes where we, you know, when, when after church, it's hard to take, get more than five minutes with somebody before we're moving on. And that's not ideal, but when you get to know a group of five to 12 to 15 people over a period of time in a small group like that, you bond and, and, and bonding is relating on that deeper level. The other place is in ministry. And even though that word committee communicates boredom, I like to use the word ministry teams. We have so many ministry teams or committees like Just Joy and, and Missions and Christian Education where if you 
want to get closer with other believers with, common, with things in common like the glory of God and the honor of God, ask any elder or, or any officer or pastor in the church, what are some of the teams that I could be a part of? I'd like to be a part and contribute. They'll tell you. And that's where you grow together. It's like why team sports are really fun. Soccer, football, baseball, and basketball. Because you don't have to do it all. You're in there as a team and you're complimenting each other. You don't have to have all the gifts. And that's where you grow and grow closer to other believers. But the, in conclusion, we'll never know true friendship unless we know and trust the friend of sinners that we read about in John 5. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ unless you understand that you need him. You see, the Pharisees spoke about Jesus with contempt and said, yeah, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They were comfortable around him because they knew they were sinful and needed a savior. And that's what it takes to come to Jesus. We gotta know we need him or we'll never come at all. But if we have this sight and sense of our sin, and recognize what he did on the cross for sinners and we go to him he will be our savior and our friend forever which means he's our companion he'll walk with us through the valley of the shadow of death and he will be with him in eternity forever don't miss that we've got to have Jesus as our savior saving us from our sins to be our friend and he will enable us to be a friend to others for his glory and for our good, you think about that. Amen.